could return together to the first chapter of James. We are going to talk about a subject today that you may be thinking, I don't need instruction about temptation. I'm quite familiar with it. Uh, that would be all of us. Nevertheless, God has some things to teach us concerning what happens within us as we are tempted and how we can overcome that. Um, if you are able, physically able, I would like you to rise and give honor to the reading of God's word as I read it. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Father, we bow before you and we ask you to teach us in the name of Jesus because we need the instruction of your word in order to live successfully in this world in which you've placed us. Father, would you cause our hearts to be good ground for the soil, good soil for the word, the seed of your word. And we love you. We thank you for giving us this word. We thank you for the mutual encouragement that we've experienced this morning through singing our worship to you and being encouraged in prayer and in the hearing of your word already. Lord, we need you among us right now to help us absorb your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We are all familiar with temptation, its perpetual presence, and we are all too familiar with the consequences of having fallen to pray to temptation. But in order to successfully navigate these waters, we need to know how our, what happens inside us that causes us to stumble. And we can't stop there, can we? We've got to know how to overcome that tendency in ourselves. And that is what our passage this morning will teach us. First of all, to understand temptation. Verses 12 to 15 lay before us five principles. If you're a note taker and you've noticed in your bulletin that there's an outline there, I apologize that there are only four principles there. <laughs> that is not our administrator's fault. That is mine. Um, as much as we try to give you all that you need to absorb the word of God, imperfection oozes from me. <laughs> so if you will forbear with me, and give attention to God's word, we'll make it through this and we'll all learn together. Amen to that? All right. I'll tell you where to insert the extra one, all right? To understand that to be tempted is not the same as sinning. James says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. So if it's wrong to be tempted, then it's not blessed to endure that temptation. 
And then Jesus himself was wrong because it says in Luke 4 that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Did you catch that? The Holy Spirit leads the Son of God into the wilderness, into a temptation situation. So it's not sin to be tempted. Here's Christ, our supreme example, living a, in perfect submission to the Father, living as a human being in this fallen world, and enduring temptation successfully. So to meet up with temptation is not to sin. It is simply, and so those of you who feel guilt very easily need to listen carefully right now, to be tempted is simply to be human. Not wrong in and of itself. We'll get to the wrong part. <laughs> Secondly, our response to temptation is key. This is something that we actually brought out in last week's passage. But I want to remind you that uh, the same Greek word that we see in verse 2, translated trials, also appears in verse 12 and beyond, translated in the English as temptation, the exact same word. Why is it different? Because the context demands a different translation of the term. Now, what's the point? The point is that a trial that is designed by God to produce the spiritual maturity within us as we grow can, with a wrong response, become a temptation and a sin. The proper response... I'm not sure you can see those highlighted words, but if you can, if you can focus on the end of verse 3, endurance. And in verse 4, that we might be perfect and complete. And in verse 5, the wisdom that God has planned in this process. That's the proper response. Improp inappropriate response would be sin, death, deception. Those are the things that happen to us when we do not respond properly to that which God sovereignly brings into our lives. Did you, have you ever connected the temptations that you receive with God's sovereign work in your life? Remember, to be tempted is not to sin. It is thirdly, and this is the one that's missing. You, ought, well, you might want to jot this in there. Temptation is an opportunity to be qualitatively proven. Qualitatively proven. James says, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him James says that enduring temptation results in God's approval just like Jesus God the voice from heaven upon the Lord Jesus this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased there's something that God the Father wants to see in us as we as we successfully navigate the sovereign uh, his sovereign will amid temptation, he is going to give us approval. Um, the crown of life thing, you need to understand, that is not talking about gaining eternal life. He is already talking to believers. He has said at the end of that verse, the Lord has promised this to those who love him. If, it is, if you're working to successfully do something in order to get eternal life, then your life is a works salvation. That is not at all what James is saying. He is saying that this is something, it is, it is a, an issue here, is enduring temptation. And so endurance is the inherent goal of the saved person. Just like in the beginning of the thought, which is the beginning of the chapter, where he says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? 
endurance. That's right. That's the, that, is, that is God's goal. That is where God wants us headed when we're, when we're navigating these rough waters. I can say it like this. Enduring temptation is like making it through quality control. <laughs> Approval, then, means that we come through the trial without sinning, without succumbing, without it becoming a, a temptation to sin, with our faith still intact, still trusting, still gaining ground, still pressing on with our eyes on Christ. So, well, that'd be a great thing to experience, Dave. I experience the opposite often. Well, so do I. Join the club. But that's why God gives us his instruction, doesn't he? So that we can be better and learn. Now, what about this crown of life? Listen, the, the, the term crown in the original language is Stephanos. Some of us name our children Stephen. It just means crown. It was a woven wreath that was awarded to the victor in athletics. James is simply using a word picture to show us that when we successfully make it through the trial without it becoming a temptation, then God is pleased and he gives us this crown of life. We already have eternal life. Now we have victorious life. Does that make sense to you? We rejoice in victory gained in contrast to the all too familiar feelings of failure amid temptation. Fourth, God is not to blame for temptation. Verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Well, why is this warning set forth? Who blames God for temptation? <laughs> well, none of us do intentionally. But we as believers assert that God sovereignly reigns over us in every area of life. And when we excuse our failures, we are shifting the blame away from ourselves onto someone else. And if God rules all of life sovereignly, then he's getting the blame. It kind of looks like this. I couldn't help it really means that God sovereignly placed something in front of me that was too great for me to handle, therefore he failed. When we say, well, if they hadn't done, and you can fill in the blank there, then I wouldn't have sinned. What we're really saying, what we're really doing is we're acting like Adam and Eve did in the garden. You know, Adam said, Lord, it's the woman you gave me. <laughs> and Eve said, the serpent deceived me. Can you hear the implication of blame toward God in those words? Now, now in, with all due respect to our first parents, the elements of their accounts are true. God did give Eve to Adam. Eve did give her husband of the forbidden fruit, and the serpent did indeed deceive Eve. But here are our first parents who have suddenly lost their perfection before God, standing guilty before him, unwilling, like so many of us, unwilling to stand humbly before him and to take full responsibility for their sin. And every subsequent child of Adam and Eve, which means everyone in this room, <laughs> including the speaker, 
has inherited their natures. And we tend to, we have a bent toward avoiding personal responsibility. We, we want to shift blame away from ourselves. Even sometimes so audaciously suggesting that if God, who sovereignly rules all of life, had acted a different way, I might be different myself. I know that several years ago, well, several decades ago now, our family went through a very, very hard financial time, and I became angry. But it took me a while to realize that if God was truly sovereign, then my anger was actually directed toward him. And I couldn't find work, and my family was in need. And as I worked through this horrible, horrible, tangled weed patch in my heart, I had to come to the terms with God. And say, Lord, if you never did anything more for me, you've already done far more than I deserve by giving me your grace. And you are good and doeth good, and I will worship you. I wish I had had a counselor's fee for every time I sat with spouses and heard them firing their accusations at each other like two battling armies on a battlefield. I'd be a very wealthy man. You see, the tendency to avoid responsibility is a human tendency. And as Brother Keith read to us earlier, I want you to read this too. I didn't know he was going to read that. That's cool. We get a double dose now. Read this with me. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Stop. Say that again. God is faithful. How faithful is he? There's two points here. Number one. Read with me. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able? Do you believe that? Well, Dave, I fail so easily. Well, join the club. But the truth of the matter is that God is faithful, and he doesn't allow something in your life that's too hard for you. It feels too hard, but it's not from God's perspective. So we have to believe God, not our emotions. The second point of his faithfulness, read it with me. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. It is a matter of faith, dear brothers and sisters. When we fail, we cannot shift the blame away. We cannot say, Lord, you, you, I, I didn't know what else to do. Listen, God says he provides a way of escape. When I fail, I need to just accept the responsibility that for whatever reason, I didn't take God's way of escape. Either I didn't see it or I didn't want it. We have to be honest before God. If we don't, we're not going to get out of this slaw of despond that we're in with succumbing to temptation. I remember a man in our church in New Jersey that had, he had a horrible situation. He had lost his wife to cancer. He had two small children. He was lonely and young and hormonal. And he fell to adultery. And so I was working with him to try to get his feet back on the rock of the Lord Jesus. And I would meet with him on Saturday mornings in his home. And he would just, and every, there was one, one particular morning that he was just pushing back on every truth that I tried to share with him to try to get him back to where he needed to be. And finally, in frustration, I said to him, let's slip off the sofa right now onto our knees and let's just tell God what you're telling me, that he was not faithful to you, that something he allowed something in your life that was too difficult for you, that it's his fault that you fell. Now, I didn't get that excited. You know, it was just one-on-one. -on -one. But you know what happened? 
it was a showdown moment. It was like God took him by the lapels and shook him and said, what are you doing? And he realized what was going on in his own heart, that God is faithful. Our failures are our fault, not God's. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But temptation does lurk at the door of our hearts, doesn't it? It's for a different reason. Our own hearts lead us astray. Ran across this poem in my preparation. I decided to share it with you. It's great. Thou knowest, thou hast formed in me with passions wild and strong, and listening to their witching voice has often led me wrong. Isn't that the truth? So what happens in us? Well, James says it's a, there's a four-step process here. First of all is enticement. Each, verse 14, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Remember, God doesn't tempt. He can't be tempted, and he doesn't tempt. But temptation comes because of this heart right here. Whose desires are the problems? Your desires. My desires are my problem. That's the problem. Now, here's something to understand. Desire is neutral. It is in English and it is in Greek as well. This, the term in Greek is just neutral. It needs adjectives and adverbs around it to make it more meaningful, to make it, uh, to make it right or wrong. It's simply neutral. The problem comes when a desire, a legitimate desire, whether it's food, comfort, security, significance, even desires related to our sexuality. These are normal human desires that God has given us. But the problem comes when a desire is aimed at something illegitimate, something that God has not assigned. And so then a normal human desire becomes a temptation to sin. Deliazo is the Greek term for enticement there, for entice, and it literally means to catch by bait. Some of you are fishermen, and so you know what happens when you put the right bait, the right lure, in the water. The fish has a nature and it cannot resist going for that lure. That's your heart. If you walked over here to this piano and you made a sound toward those strings, do you know what would happen? The sound waves that come out of your mouth would resonate the strings. That is exactly what happens in your heart. When a temptation comes, listen, our hearts, we are, we are poised and ready in our flesh to respond to temptation. It's like being magnetized in that direction. That's part of our fallenness, and that's why the instruction is here. But when the, when the temptation comes, all it takes is a little bit sometimes, and your heart strings begin to resonate the sound that was given to you. It is, it is a enticement. James says, then when desire has conceived. See, that, that normal desire as now because that thing has been waved in front of us and desire has now conceived and we have become entrapped. The moment our hearts, even though it may be ever so subtle, even that moment that our hearts turn favorably in the direction of temptation, we have become entrapped. James also says that it gives birth to sin. That's, that, that's where you, you've seen something and it may be something that's a legitimate part of life, but God hasn't assigned it to you whether it's 
a beautiful person or some things or a position in life, whatever it is, the moment that you look at something that God hasn't given you, your heart says to you, this is what you need. This is what will gratify you. This will bring fulfillment. And you take the bait. That's when your heart begins to endorse the wrong. as something you should do. See, the temptation was not the sin. It became sin when we stopped looking to God to meet our every need and started acting on our own. And finally, and sin, when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. This is enslavement. Dear ones, there are sins that do not lead to physical death immediately. But physical death is not the only kind of death that the Bible teaches us. The first thing to die is your conscience. And by the way, just parenthetically, the conscience is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, and your conscience is your conscience. Your conscience is that personal sensitivity within you to right and wrong based on your moral upbringing. That's why, as the moral consensus continues to disappear from our culture, conscience continues to disappear as well. But the first thing you need to know when you are becoming enslaved in sin is your conscience dies toward that sin. you, You cross that boundary so many times that you no longer feel the wrongness of it. And if you keep doing that, if you do not turn back to the Lord quickly and fully, then the death that you're experiencing in that place will spread like gangrene to your entire relationship with God. And brothers and sisters, there are dead people in every church. Can I just say that again? There are dead people in every church. Dave, what are you saying? I'm saying there are people who have given license to their sin repeatedly. They have so uh, convinced and excused themselves that this is just the way they are, that in reality it is, a, it is a sinful indulgence to the degree that no one around them or not even themselves understand if they're Christians or not. They've, our son started down this road once. He was a teenager, and he and I were in a public place, and it was actually a mall. And you know how young, attractive females are attracted to the mall. <laughs> well... <laughs> Josh was talking about the eye candy that was in front of him. That was his term. And he made a a sly smile on his face, and he said, Well, Dad, I'm young and hormonal. And my response to him was, Well, I'm old and hormonal. The issue is not the way we are. The issue is what will we do in submission to Christ with the way that we are. You've got to remember that The trial that God sends into our lives is meant to produce spiritual maturity. We've seen how it can go in the wrong direction. And knowing what goes on in our hearts is only half the battle. We've got to know how to overcome that. So do you want to know how to overcome that? This is yes. I want to tell you. Are you you still with me? That's the next part of the message. Overcoming. It's a two-pronged offensive. By the way, it's not enough just to know where you go wrong. There's a, there's a um, Vicki reminded me this morning when we were talking about this, there's an old Puritan message called the expulsive power of a higher affection. It's a Puritan message, and it's long and wordy. I can sum it up in two sentences. You'll thank me for this if you try to read it. 
You cannot overcome your flesh by just saying no. It is a spiritual condition within us. It just doesn't work. That's only behavior modification. Dr. Phil can do that, but you can't. You must replace the enticement, the the affection with something higher than what draws you away from Christ. That's the summary of the sermon. Thank you, Dave. You're welcome. First of all, we need to refocus on revealed truth. By revealed truth, we're talking about the Word of God. James says in verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. The only way to not be deceived is to anchor our minds in the Word of God. Deception abounds in this world. But revealed truth was the focus of the Lord amid his temptations, wasn't it? Look at the screen. Three times Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it has been said, and all three times he's referring to the law, the written word of God. And we must depend upon revealed truth as our weapon against temptation as well. Read this with me. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Do you know what carnal means? It means earthly, physical, human. It's not that way. But, keep reading, mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Listen, where do arguments and high things and thoughts happen? Right here, right here. And so the battleground is here. We sometimes talk about our hearts as the center of what we are, but we're not talking about the pump. We're talking about this, really. We have to depend on revealed truth because if our hearts are the problem, then our hearts need the remedy. Amen? And this is the very reason why so many of you stay defeated because you are not giving yourselves regularly to the study of this book. If you are starving yourselves to death, should you be surprised that you're getting skinny and weak spiritually? You Dear ones, if you are not in the word of God, and if you know the Lord, you are setting yourself up for defeat and failure perpetually. We must, we must turn our hearts in the direction, in order to be successful with temptation, we must turn our hearts in the direction of revealed truth. And secondly, we need to turn our hearts toward God in worship. What does James say? He says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. In contrast to the evil that lurks within our own hearts, God's heart is filled with goodness and perfection as he expresses it toward his children with good gifts. Now let's keep it in context, because if we just started listing all the good gifts God gives us, we'd be here for a week. But in context, let me mention three. The maturing process that includes trials. Hmm. Has you ever stopped to thank God that the trial itself is actually one of his good gifts? Kind of shocking, isn't it? In the midst of the trial, God has He gives us the ability to endure. He gives us the power to make it through. That's a good gift. And in the midst of the trial, you learn from it. By the way, where does wisdom most come from, success or failure? Failure. Yeah, that's wisdom because you think, that hurt. I don't want to do that again. Wisdom. So 
Listen, God has dealt with fallible people for a long time. He's not surprised by you and me. He's got a lot of experience. And so these are his good gifts. And so we worship God because he is good in his very essence. And when God takes you like he did me a couple of decades ago, when he takes you to the very end of yourself, and all you can say is, nothing I have in my life is worth clinging to, but you are worth clinging to. And just like God said to Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. Not all I'm going to do for you, not all the blessings that come with it. I am your exceedingly great reward. And when you love the Lord with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, you'll come to that point where he alone is your exceedingly great reward. James, I love the way James refers to God, the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Light here is used as the imagery for the absence of sin. And we could say it like this. There's no evil, unkindness, imperfection, unfairness in God's nature at all. He's perfect and holy. And whatever we're going through at the time, our changing circumstances mean nothing to the character of God. He is unchanging. He has not changed. He, hasn't, he is not changing now. He will never change. In the midst of the worst nightmare of our temptation, he is perfect and pure and holy and loving and kind and just and gracious and merciful toward us. Are you glad about that? And We worship him in the midst of temptation for his unchanging character. Listen, I'll tell you what else that does for us. Turning our hearts. For us, it means music. We're, we're musicians in our family. We love to just sing hymns and, and songs, and, and we'll walk through our day singing. And that helps us turn our thoughts toward God. And what it does is it turns hearts away from our fleshly propensity towards succumbing to the sin. And we all know about that. And it also refreshes our love for God's presence and his fellowship. So we worship God for who he is and also for his work in our behalf. I love this verse. And what a great verse to end this message on. For of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James's final instruction here for us is that we would personalize worship even further. How so? Because first of all, God, salvation rather, is of God. God. These are things you know, but when you're in the midst of temptation, you need to be reminded, and you need to be helped in this direction. Salvation is of God. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That doesn't mean that you didn't have a say in the matter. It means that ultimately, God, it was God's say. It was his will that you come into his family. Our salvation, brothers and sisters, was in the heart of God before ever you had your first thought toward him. Secondly, it is from God. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He brought us out of our deadness, the deadness of our sins, and breathed life into our spirits. Just like you see in Genesis where God breathed life into the first human being, that is a picture also of what he has done with you. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and by his word he has breathed eternal life into us as well. He brought us out of our darkness into his light. 
How'd that happen? Well, first of all, you came to understand your sinfulness before him. You've never understood that you were a sinful person, and by your very existence as a sinner, you were an offense to a holy God. You've never been saved. If you haven't understood that, you have not come into the family of God, because God is not impressed with your religious activity. He, He wants you to understand that who we are and how he has provided a way of salvation, and Jesus is our sin bearer. That is why on the cross, when he said, it is finished, It was finished. All sin for all humanity for all time was paid for in full. Can I get an amen? It was finished. And believing on that sacrifice is what makes us approved to God. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Salvation is of God and it is from God and it is to God that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is very Jewish language. Why? Because James is a Jew, and he's writing to Jewish people. And it's Old Testament language. First fruits in the law was the firstborn cattle and the firstborn son and the first of harvest. And these were especially dedicated to the Lord. These Jewish recipients that James was writing to were among the first to believe in Messiah. They believed, they, they, they heard about the resurrection with their own ears. Some of them saw Jesus. So they're the first fruits of all that God was going to do to bring in a long harvest of believers. They're the first fruits. But by application, James says, we and the Holy Spirit wants us to understand that we means all who believe are of all God's creation, and every human being bears his image, right? And so of all his creation, all creation belongs to him. But of that creation, we who believe are a first fruits of those who believe. <clears throat> Peter stated it more clearly than anybody in the New Testament, I think. And he said that you may proclaim the excellencies of he who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what first fruits is for. The first fruits was set aside, especially for God's use. And Peter, uh, James says that you, as a believer, one who has trusted in the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ, you are a first fruit. You are set aside for God's work. And we, Peter says, get to proclaim what we've experienced to those who are still in darkness. Can I get a witness? Oh, my goodness. If that doesn't, if that doesn't excite you, this would be a great day to get saved. <laughs> it really would. Oh, my goodness. God, isn't God amazing? Some of us may have understood today why we live in perpetual defeat. And it's because of what goes on right in here. That we have no power to say no to sin. That we have excused our behavior or or, or we're not believing the word of God. We end up being in the word of God. And maybe, just maybe, you're doubting whether you're actually in God's family or not. Can I just say to you, as your shepherd, that you've come to a crossroads, and God the Holy Spirit has brought you there. If that's you, if you've understood something about yourself this morning, listen, wouldn't it be better to humble yourself and come to God and say, Lord, I need to be saved, than to spend eternity wishing you had done that in this moment? Because there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. This would be a great day 
to make sure that you are in God's family. And you do that by humbly coming to him and saying, Jesus suffered for me. I believe that God was satisfied with that sacrifice. I don't have to do anything more except believe that his sacrifice paid for my sin. I need his mercy. I need his grace. If that's you, we're going to bow our heads in just a moment. And I encourage you to talk to him and ask him to be the Lord of your life. In fact, let's do that now. Would you just close your eyes? Would you just take that moment, and if that's you, ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Tell God that you believe that his crucifixion, his bloody, agonizing death, was the full payment for your sins, your offense before God. And that you believe that God raised him from the dead victoriously, and he's alive right now. He's right here in this room. He's also exalted to the right hand of heaven. If you invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, welcome to the family of God. We'd like to know about that. We're not going to embarrass anybody, but we'll be here after the service. We'd love to talk to you. But let me talk to another group with your head still bowed and your eyes closed because there, there are people who know you're a believer. But it vexes you that there are strongholds of fleshly disobedience that you fight against, and sometimes you lose more often than you win. Remember, we're all in that same category. We all need to continue trusting that Christ has satisfied God's wrath against sin, and that means the sin that entraps us easily. That our only hope is to keep fleeing to him to find the power and the strength and we cannot stop fighting we cannot give up that's what the enemy wants the weapon against our heart's sinful tendency is understanding what God has done in our behalf and worshiping him because of it God has worked Father thank you for your word Thank you that we can humble ourselves in front of you because you see to the depth of our souls anyway. We love you. We are completely exposed before you. And that is a wonderful place to be. And so we come to you and ask you to cleanse us and strengthen us and cause us to stand faithfully on all that you are and all you've revealed to us. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. I want us to do something a little different before communion. I've taken the liberty to slightly alter these lyrics. We sang the hymn earlier, but I want us to just stand together reverently and express your heart to the Lord with this verse. We can sing it a cappella. My soul, who on Jesus has leaned for repose, you will not, you will not desert to my foes.
my soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, you'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Mike, would you come? And Father, we just love you. Thank you that you are there. You, for, you never will forsake us. We worship you for giving us life, for giving us eyes to see and hearts that are renewed and strength to fight against that which would so easily entangle us so that we might live unto you and seek your glory and the advancement of your kingdom in every area of our lives.